Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. We're going to be taking care of business in a whole lot of ways today. Got some great questions from people, as usual. You know, there's been a a slow shift. It probably has to do as much with my own biases as anything, but away from traditional job search questions, the kind of resume job search kind of questions, to more entrepreneurial business kind of questions. Now, again, it probably has as much to do with my own kind of uh, biases as anything, but I think it's also a realistic reflection of what's happening in the workplace. Yes, we still have traditional jobs, eight to five, hour for lunch, two weeks vacation, 401k contributions, and so on. We're always going to have that. But the the people who are really, I I have to be careful about how I phrase this. I was going to say the people who are really, you know, are creative, are thinking, are innovative, are, are really taking a fresh look at what state the economy is in, are interested in doing things where they have more sense of control. You know, to, to, to just hope for a job and then kind of just rest into that confidence you're going to get a paycheck every Friday is a model that is diminishing. There's no question about it. Again, if that's what you're looking for, do it with excellence. Hold your head high. And there's always going to be opportunities like that. But you better recognize that in some sense you are self-employed. You simply have chosen to have one customer. And in doing so you obviously make yourself more vulnerable than if you have 10 customers or 20 customers. So it's really a continuum rather than a substantial change. You need to see yourself as self-employed period, no matter what kind of work application you choose to take. But then it's a matter of how many customers do you have? And if you have one customer only, then that may look like a traditional job, but you realize there are some, challenges and some certainly some vulnerabilities in that not a matter of right or wrong good or bad it's just what you choose but you need to look at the whole continuum so that you can choose wisely well this is dan meller Uh, we're part of a community called 48 days and i wrote a book several years ago called 48 days to the work you love that many of you are familiar with and we've created a community around that idea that you can in fact change where you are, change the results you're getting in 48 days if you create a plan of action. So everything that we talk about, we frame in terms of you can assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, look at your alternatives, narrow down, do some research, choose the best solution and act, and you can do that in a 48-day time frame. Now, the reason I'm so adamant about the 48-day time frame is because I've seen so many people get stuck in indecision they get stuck in that process of gathering information paralysis by analysis they continue to gather knowledge and information and never really pull the trigger and now this has a lot to do with personality style and certainly other things can affect it as well but that's why we've chosen to take a timeline yes it is somewhat arbitrary but 48 days seem to resonate with a lot of people And so we've used that as a timeline where you can, in fact, redirect the kind of results that you're getting and move to a higher level of success. 
So if you are unhappy with where you are, what are you going to do? What are you willing to change? Are you willing to go through that brief process I just described in order to put yourself on a new path? Well, for the next 48 minutes, I'm going to be going through some of the questions you all, the listeners, have submitted. And if you want to submit a question, we welcome you doing that. You can just go to the 48days.com site Click on podcast, you'll see that nice little red starburst jump up there, and you can submit your question there. You can also shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com if you prefer. And we also have a a phone number listed there. If you want to leave an audio voicemail, you can do that as well. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. What do you do if your dream job is being a wife and mother? Great question. Dan, is it okay to use an idea that I read in a book or got at a workshop in my blog if I list the resource? What's the quickest way to discover what you're passionate about and how to legitimately create income out of that? Boy, that's a great question. A lot of people say, well, gee, I'm passionate about, you know, growing roses or playing golf, but obviously I can't make any money doing that. Well, be slow to make that assumption that you can't. There's a whole lot of creative things that people are doing to create legitimate income. The first thing is to define what is your passion. You'd be surprised how you can take that and shape it into something to create significant and certainly legitimate income. Dan, I'd like to do something in sales in the civilian sector, but I'm scared of the transition from military to civilian life. Again, a very common malady. One of the one of the addendums projects that I have on my list is 48 days for the military veteran for making that transition. Um, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get it finished. I've run into a a series of complications, quite frankly, in that finding that it's a very dicey area. Yeah, I run the risk very quickly of offending either the prospective employers or the military veterans. And I'm really not, not that I'm afraid of uh, offending somebody, but it's, been a very challenging project as I've tried to kind of unravel the dynamics of those moving from military to civilian life. Well, somebody says, Dan, I suspect I have ADD and self-esteem issues. It takes all my concentration to perform at work and raise two small kids. I know I'm intelligent and creative, so this frustrates me. Well, look at that. What does that mean to have ADD in today's work environment? And Dan, Dan, what would you say are the benefits and burdens of having private investors? You know, if you need money for a startup, what are the pros and cons of ways you can do that? Well, here, those are the, some of the questions we'll be addressing in today's podcast. Here's our quotation for the day that comes from Brian Dodge, motivational uh, sales trainer, who says, what I love about a golf scorecard is that the little boxes that you write your score in are not big enough for writing excuses. Isn't that great? I love that. I cracked up when I read that. Somebody sent it to me. I love that. What I love about a golf scorecard is that the little boxes that you write your score in are not big enough for writing excuses. Don't you love it when somebody, you know, takes five minutes to explain to you why they were late today or why they didn't finish a project or why they didn't do something with excellence the first time around? I mean, I just recently had a little construction project done back here at the sanctuary, and I was appalled at some of the things that the guys did, you know, and I looked at it and I said, now, you know, tell me, are you really proud of that? Are you proud of the way that looks? Aren't you embarrassed about the quality of the work there? I mean, I just challenge them on it. And then they go into all these things. Well, gee, you know, we didn't know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we couldn't get this. 
Eh, don't tell me your excuses. I mean, just stand back and look at it. Is that something you would be proud of? Well, anyway, let's go on. Patricia says, pertaining to the guy who was wondering how to charge relatives and friends for IT work. Now, in last week's podcast, I talked about a guy who was an IT expert and he was constantly being bombarded with friends and relatives who wanted him to do work and he didn't know how to charge them, but he felt like they were really taking advantage of him. And I gave him some guidelines for how to do that. Anyway, the, the Patricia is responding to that. She says, I've bumped into this situation in all my business ventures. I have had a printed price list like you suggested, and I would let those close to me folks know that they were eligible for the friends and family discount or percentage off those prices. It could be up to 50% off, but this allowed for them to know what the full value of the service item is and that they were, by virtue of being family and friends, being offered a very good deal. That practice helped me keep both my value for my service as well as keeping good relations with, with relatives. By the way, thanks for 48 days. It's a wonderful encouragement for me. Well, thanks, Patricia, for your input. That's a great idea. Just you know, have your regular prices printed and say, but since you are in the friends and family arena, you know, here's a discount that you get. That's a great way to frame it where they really feel like they're getting a bargain and yet you're still being paid something reasonable for the services that you provide. I have a friend who, a very close friend who has a couple condos on beaches down South and it's not uncommon at all that somebody like that is going to be asked, Hey man, can we use your condo? You know, we would just want to go down for a couple of days. And I, I know people with vacation property who have just been worn out with friends and family. Hey, we want to use it. And one friend actually described, he kept saying no, because he really did not want these people to use it anymore. And he kept coming back and saying, well, no, I'm sorry that week's taken. And they kept coming back with new weeks. And they finally said, look, you just tell us, two weeks when it's open and we'll make our vacation during that time backed himself into a corner, but he needs to have a better plan than just trying to evade them or trying to just convince them it's not available when they want it. Well, I have a friend who has a couple condos and I mentioned it to him one time. He said, sure, no problem. He says, call my receptionist. He says, we got, we got a 50% off for friends of mine. Just call and tell her, you know, that you want to book it. And I was immediately just absolutely thrilled with that my gosh i mean 50 percent off of ak something right on the beach like that that's phenomenal now would he have let me use it for nothing if i had pressed him yeah i'm sure he would have but i feel better about the fact that it's 50 percent off so i pay for it i know that covers expenses and maintenance and cleaning and everything like that i feel better about it I can book it anytime I want to. If we want to go four times a year, I can, and it's fine with him, and it's a reasonable exchange. So, yeah, when you have those services, things you can provide, make a structure for it so you don't resent your friends and family actually taking advantage of what you do well. Stephanie says, what do you do if your dream job is being a wife and mother? I'm a 36-year-old woman. I'm successful in my career, but I don't get much fulfillment from it. I see my friends and family who have gotten married, and I'm happy for them, but it makes me feel like a failure. I am out there dating as much as I can, but I can't shake the feeling that being a wife and mother is my true calling. How can I feel true happiness and fulfillment when my dream depends on someone else? Thank you so much for your ministry and the positive message that you put out there every day. 
You know, this is something that comes up again and again and again. Now, I'm going to give this, this, this is a very complex challenge, and we are going to be able to address all the dynamics of this in a one-minute response, but let, let me give it a shot. We have to go back to the concept that success in life involves success in multiple areas, not just one. So if your dream is to be a wife and mother, yes, that's a major issue. My question is, what are you doing to be extremely successful in all those areas of your life even now? What are you doing physically, spiritually, socially, in terms of personal development? So your, your life is not on hold until you fill that void that you feel is there. If you are doing nothing to make yourself really successful in those other areas now, while you're waiting, you'll make yourself a less attractive candidate. So be your absolute best in all those things. Then you make yourself a more attractive candidate. Obviously put yourself in social situations where you're likely to meet somebody. And I take very seriously your request. That's not something that uh, there's any easy answers for, but make yourself such an appealing candidate in terms of being excellent at everything that you do, that it's going to be hard to, for, for people not to take notice and want to be more connected with you. Dan, I have a question regarding my current situation. I'm not sure exactly how to approach it since I've received so much conflicting feedback on it. Hopefully you'll be able to pick it apart a little bit. Here's a quick overview. I became engaged in March. I graduated from college with an IT degree in May. I started an awful job at a local software development company just a few years or a few days after I graduated. Also, just after graduating, I moved in with my dad in order to save up money for the wedding. The software company turned out to be a complete bust, taking advantage of their employees to the extreme. Three weeks ago, I left out of emotional and spiritual necessity. Now, for the past couple of years, I've been very passionate about marketing. Since about May, I have also built a small internet marketing business that is profiting about $50 a week and has an opportunity about to go through that could be a tipping point. My question is, should I just go out and get a job to address my immediate income requirements or should I hold on just a little while longer and see what becomes of this business? I want to respect my father's choice to let me stay at his house. Don't want him thinking I'm taking advantage of him. Also make sure that this wedding is properly saved for. Now you, you do have, you've got a whole bunch of things here, Brady, that you've thrown into this equation and, and you've got to kind of break it down. So you are making sense in each of these areas. When, when we have a lot of change that takes place, even if it's positive change, it creates stress and sets us up for even potential physical maladies. I mean, when I was doing graduate work in clinical psychology, we used to do these kind of studies. We'd interview people and even things like a wedding or graduating from school or Christmas, even though those are very positive things, they are change points and it creates a level of stress. And if you accumulate like 300 points in this particular process, 300 points within a calendar year, you really set yourself up as a candidate for stress reactions in negative ways. Now, in regard to your situation here, when are you going to get married? You know, if you're going to get married yet this year in 2011, if you're going to get married in December, then it's probably not a good time to be starting a business as an example. Yeah. You probably just need to go get another job so that you give yourself a little margin 
in getting through some of these other major changes. Now, the other thing is you say that if you just put yourself into your business full time, maybe you could ramp it up quickly. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I mean, if you have a business that has a potential to really get going, yeah, that may be your best long-term solution, but you are not in a position, you know, being in your dad's house to just dilly dally for six months, hoping it gets going. So I would say, give yourself maybe 30 days. I mean, making $50 a week is not much income. I mean, can you take that, you know, to where you're doing 10 times that? So you're making $500 a week. Can you do that in 30 days? If you can't, then I don't think you can justify just living at your dad's, hoping that you're slowly building this little business you got going on on the side. So make the decisions based on where you want to be, you know, three months from now, a year from now, six months from now, whatever, and then back into what decisions do you need to make now so that you can accomplish those timelines. But I suspect in your case, it's going to be get another job. That's an immediate kind of thing. Shows responsibility, puts you in a better position to not be living with your dad and to be set to get married and then build your business on the side. Jeremy says, I've taken your advice that you gave on one of your podcasts. It was give yourself like 21 days to write all your ideas down and see what sticks. I'm thinking of an advertising business site that anyone can pitch ideas to companies for advertising. If the company uses it, they pay that individual and the site for their work. It would be a site where anyone can use their creative minds to pitch to companies, big or small, kind of like freelance work. Do you think that this is an idea that would work? How would you suggest the site make its money? Well, I think it can work, but you you have to be way more detailed about how it's going to work than what you have here. Obviously, this is just a short two, two, three sentence kind of synopsis, but you've got to be real clear. How would this work? What are you going to bring to the table in terms of advertising ideas that a company is not going to expect to get internally or from their current ad agency? You know, are you going to be targeting those businesses that aren't big enough to be used in an ad agency, but, um, you know, maybe could still lend themselves to outsourced work like this? You're in kind of a unique area. I mean, not many companies go looking for just outsourced competency for ad ideas. So I would encourage you to focus on a particular industry. So if it's going to be real estate development, if it's going to be healthcare, you know, if it's going to be, you know, turf management, I would encourage you to focus in on an industry to kind of get your teeth into that so that you develop advertising concepts that are applicable in a particular industry. Then you can leverage those and grow from there. Karen from um, Alabama says, Uh, Your podcast encourages us to keep looking for the right career fit. Here's my question. All right, now this is an interesting question here, another IT question. My husband is interviewing for a company in California. He's in the IT industry. Many times previous phone interviews led nowhere with the recruiter dropping him like a hot potato after they say uh, the next phase is to send you a problem or test and you have X number of hours to solve it and then they don't follow through. Yesterday, he got a second phone interview with the CEO of a company. They want to fly him out to California for a face-to-face interview and have him enter a tech hackathon. Remember that scene in Social Network. He's not that type of person. What advice can you give us when companies create an interviewing environment on the extreme end outside our comfort zone? Well, this is why you are interviewing this is why i encourage you to have 30 to 40 companies in your target group of companies 
when you are doing your interviewing setup because you can't control what happens in one company. But if you've done a good job search, you should have four or five other hot candidates at the same time. So then you can evaluate and weigh one offer against the other and then really choose so that you're, if you have a company where you're not really comfortable, where you feel like they're going to push you into areas that are really not a good fit for you, you can then very comfortably say, no, thank you for the offer, but I think I'm going to take the offer I have with this company over here. If you have not done an active job search and you've been just sticking your toe in the water, then you get this kind of one at a time opportunities where it's difficult to say no if you don't have something else right along with it. That's why I encourage a short burst of very focused, intense activity in a 30 to 45 day period when you're doing a job search. So you bring offers to the table in the same time frame. So within a two week period, you get four or five job offers and then you can choose which one is a better fit. Ultimately, you've got to decide. I mean, you can't say, no, that's the kind of, that's IT work that I don't really want to do. I you know, feel like that's a compromise or whatever. No, you can't do that. You know, if you really are serious about wanting a job offer, then you're going to have to conform to what they see their needs as being and what they expect you to do. Thus, we go back to the power of having an aggressive job search where you have multiple job offers in the same period of time. Well, Matt from Alabama says, I've created a new, new collegiate logo for one of the universities here in Alabama. I'm wondering what's the best way to go about getting that into the right hands for merchandising. I have no interest in selling the merchandise or manufacturing them. I simply want to provide the logo to them. Should I contact the licensed manufacturers or the school? Also, should I contact multiple places and see which one will give me the best deal for my design? Well, you, you really are getting the cart before the horse here. You can't just decide you want to create a new collegiate logo for a university. I mean, universities put thousands and thousands of dollars and hours into creating the logo that they think represents them best. I mean, I'm not sure what prompted you to create a logo for an existing university. I'm not sure where you intended to go with that, but no, you would certainly not contact the merchandisers. They aren't going to start producing merchandise with a new logo on it that did not come from the university. So you have to go to the university itself first and see if they're even interested in the logo. I mean, I would be totally 100% surprised if they had any interest in it at all, no matter how well it's done, because it's just so far out of the kind of process that is usually used to come up with a logo. If a school feels like they need a modification or a new logo, you know, they'll do research. You know, what is it that we're really trying to convey here? I mean, a logo ought to be a real clear representation of what that organization is all about. And unless you've done extensive research yourself, I'm not quite sure how you would come up with a logo that would have any meaning for the school. So, you know, if, if it's a little novelty thing, you know, what it, that is not really going to represent the school, but somehow uh, just as a cute little reminder of the school, uh, then you could go and ask if you could have licensing rights for using their name on whatever it is that you've created. So you could do that. But again, I, I don't think you've got a, a real direct path for anything productive in what you've described. I'm sorry about that. Lyndon says, hi Dan, how can I start a small business from home without having to register or can I start a small business from home without having to register with state and local government agencies 
such as Department of Revenue, Secretary of State, local government's permits office, and so on. Would it just be counted a miscellaneous income on my tax return? Yes. If I come up with a name, would it be a DBA? And if so, does it have to be registered with a particular agency to be legal? No. You, you can do anything you want to. I mean, you, without going through a lot of hoops at all. Just go ahead and start. You don't have to register anywhere. Just provide the income. You know, you have to claim the income as miscellaneous income. That's about as complicated as it has to get. However, doing the other things that you describe here, coming up with a DBA, a registered name, and so on, makes you more legitimate, makes you feel more like you're in a legitimate business, and is going to make people take you more seriously that you want as customers as well. Kenna from Broken Arrow says, Dan, I want to start a new blog that will feature a new activity every day. Is it okay to use an idea that I read in a book or got at a workshop if I list the resource? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I do blog every day. And every day I have content that I got from somewhere else. I mean, it's almost impossible to think that anybody could sit down and come up with something totally new and original. As a matter of fact, there's an old um, Mark Twain quotation. Let me grab this real quick. Mark Twain says, there's no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We just take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn and they create new and curious combinations. We keep turning, making new patterns, but they're the same old pieces of glass that have been in use throughout the years. I love that quotation. There's no such thing as a totally new idea. I mean, even things that we see using new technology, you know, building on things that have happened in the past, it's just a new twist. So you can use quotations. You can reference ideas that you got at a seminar or out of a book. Absolutely. You can do those all day long. Now, yeah, if you have a, a source for that, then list the resource. That's a very professional thing to do, but you don't have to go back to that resource and ask permission. I mean, that's something I get asked every day. You know, Dan, can I use a quotation from you on page 78 out of No More Mondays? And it's like, yes, please just do it. You know, don't, don't, you don't have to get specific permission from us to do that. I use heavy quotations in anything that I write. And very rarely would I ever go back to the author and ask for permission. The only time being, if I wanted to extract a very large portion directly from that person or from their writing. If I want to use two paragraphs out of a book, yes, then I need to get permission. And in that case, it comes from the publisher, not even from the person who spoke of it, from the publisher. Randy says, Dan, I was let go recently at my job and it was unexpected, but in a way it was a relief. I was miserable while working there, but never mustered up the courage or strength to look for other opportunities. Perhaps I was too comfortable I have about four months of savings, but I want to look for an opportunity, not just another job. What is the quickest way to discover what you are passionate about and how to legitimately create income out of it? I hope this isn't too broad. I've seen a therapist and she says to get another job in the meantime while I develop something else. I don't want to fall into the same trap of just working for someone else again and being in the same rut. Any help or ideas would be greatly appreciated. All right, you were recently let go from your job, so you need something. You need, to need something quickly. I concur, you need to get another job, but I'm not sure that you need to just step over this process of finding what you're passionate about first. You ought to know what you're passionate about. 
the application then can vary whether you choose to get another job or whether you choose to do something more creative and non-traditional entrepreneurial. That's an entirely different issue. If you figure out what you are passionate about and you decide that you want to start a business based around that, but you're out of a job, you need income in the next 30 days, then I'm going to tell you, go and get another job. But you ought to be able to go get another job with more wisdom behind you, where you do look for something where it is connected with your passion. You can now look for a position where perhaps your passion would be engaged and you're learning from a company that's already got a business built around that concept. That's a great way to prepare for doing something on your own, ultimately, if that's the direction you want to go in. But I don't think that now's the time to take a significant amount of time to discover what your passion is and then think, well, you'll just start building some kind of a creative idea around that, a way to create income from that. Now, there are modifications of this. I mean, when I work with an artist and the artist says, you know, this is really my passion, I'm going to do these phenomenal paint works that are going to be in people's homes and we're going to use the theme of music or the theme of flowers is going to be my theme and I want to just paint and have people buy these. So do I have to go just go get a job and wait on that to happen? Well, maybe kind of, sort of. What I recommend in those kind of situations, knowing that it's going to take some time. You don't just start as an artist and build your reputation and credibility overnight and be making $10,000 a month, you know, next month doing the kind of work that you want to do. So you're going to have to have a transition plan that can involve a variety of things that can involve just going to get a traditional job. That's fine. If at that point that you know what you're doing, then the job does not have to be your dream job. It doesn't have to be your dream career. You know it's a reasonable vehicle to help you get to where you are going to end up as a well-known, reputable artist. You may do other things that are kind of connected with art, even though you feel like it's a compromise of that. You may paint apartment complexes, or you may do faux finishes where you would do, or you may do commissioned art where you create things for people. So those are things you can do that are still in the same vein, not exactly where you want to end up, but they're legitimate things you can do that are not a traditional job, but are still moving you toward what you want to do. So you have to create a timeline for how quickly you can discover what your passion is and how quickly you can create a realistic plan for generating income in doing that. It's all, you begin with the end in mind. That's one of Stephen Covey's principles from Seven Habits. Begin with the end in mind. I mean, a lot of people figure out what their passion is and they start in that. And then six months later, they realize they're on a three-year track to ever create enough income to live on. Well, that's not a realistic plan. If you can't create enough income to live on in 90 days, then you're going to need something else to supplement that. That doesn't mean that you're giving up on your dream, but it means you're creating a realistic plan to ultimately get you to where your dream has taken you. I mean, when you talk about something that's going to take three or four years, I mean, that time frame goes by in the, in the blink of an eye. I mean, look back three or four years in order to remind you how quickly that time goes by. That time is going to buy, going to buy anyway. So you might as well be on track to something that's going to put you in a better place. Don't get impatient and think that if you can't make it happen overnight, you're just not going to do it. No, five years from now, you're going to be five years older Would you rather be doing the same thing you're doing now or be in a position then to really be living out your dream? 
Carlos from California says, Dan, thanks for what you do. Awesome podcast. I've been a Marine for seven years and I'm currently a Marine recruiter. I love the sales process. I've become very successful as a recruiter. I'm two and a half years away from my degree in business administration. I'd like to do something in sales in the civilian sector, but I'm afraid of the transition from military to civilian life. Now listen to this. He says, I'm 100% confident in my leadership, management, and sales skill, but not sure where to begin looking for a similar civilian job where my independence, sales skills, and values match. Currently, my salary stays the same regardless of how good my results are. My motivation is simply to be the best. I would like to find a civilian job where my results can be rewarded financially. Any ideas on where to start the search? Absolutely. What, what a great position to be in. Something now where you enjoy what you are doing. You're two and a half years away from a degree in business management. You're already creating this transition plan to move away from the military into civilian. You've identified what your strongest areas of competence are. Man, you're in a great position to just map out this transition and do it with class and excellence. If you are 100% confident in your leadership management sales skills, then you've got the world by the tail. I mean, all you need to do is identify an industry that you really are excited about, something where you would be thrilled to be selling and promoting their products or services. So you want it to be a match, yes, with your values and with your own interest. I mean, true professional selling is simply sharing enthusiasm. So if you love Mercedes cars, you can sell Mercedes. You're sharing enthusiasm about that. Incidentally, don't let me catch you driving a Chevy. If you're selling Mercedes, you better be showing that you believe in the product to that degree, but just match up your own natural interest and take your skills there for the opportunity that you're talking about. And incidentally, Salespeople out here who really are good salespeople never have a salary that has a cap on it. You may have some kind of a base, but it's always going to be open-ended. True salespeople, people who enjoy the process of selling, recognize it's the most financially rewarding kind of skill to have. So absolutely. So whether it's cars, yachts, chewing gum, carpet, or furniture, you know, you decide but then attach yourself to something where your enthusiasm matches your skills and you can knock it out of the park. Congratulations on looking forward and mapping out that transition well. Jay from Georgia says, what if you're trying too hard to hold on to a job you're fortunate to get and possibly face losing it because you're working to prove yourself? Now, this is kind of a, this is a very circular kind of argument that uh, Jay has here. And he says, I found my job in June. I'm very fortunate to get it. It fits me almost perfectly. My problem is I try too hard and this has led to mistakes. I've looked for a job like this for a long time. This has made me anxious to prove myself as a hard worker. I hurt my back in June trying to go over and beyond what was actually needed. The business is good and has issued workman's comp that's needed. I come in early and stay late. I'll sometimes miss a small item in my supervisor's instructions. When I listen to him, I have ADD and a learning disability, but I've not told my employer about this. Now, I, I would encourage you, you know, there's a whole lot of us out there. And I've been diagnosed, you know, with ADHD. 
You know, I was told one time that I, in structuring my office, should never have a window in my line of vision, especially if I was going to be a coach, never have a window where I could see the window while I was looking at a client. Well, I've ignored all that great information and set my office up so I can be working with the client and gee, a deer walks by with a fawn. I interrupt what we're doing. I mean, what I'm doing is not so set in concrete and set in stone that we can't be realistic about the world we live in. And so I say, oh my gosh, look at that. I mean, just this week I was working with a, a couple coaching clients and she was sitting where she could look out the window and she saw we've got about 20 turkeys, a big family that we've been nurturing since the little babies were born. Now they're full grown and I accidentally spill seed for them every morning when I'm filling the bird feeders. So they come up and eat. So we, you know, take a moment to do that. So, I mean, sometimes people with ADHD try to take all the realness, the spontaneity out of their lives And I don't, uh, you know, I resist any environment that does that. So if you have ADHD and you're trying to work in a cubicle that has blank walls and you're supposed to go in there and just look at a computer screen for eight hours, it's probably going to drive you nuts. That probably isn't a good fit. But my point is, I'm not sure that's a good fit for anybody who's a thinking, living, breathing soul. But be that as that it may, recognize what it means to have ADHD or ADD or bipolar, call it whatever you want to. In many ways, it's a real asset, and I know that it is for people who want to be entrepreneurs who try to do things on their own because they don't work well within confined structure. They're looking for things that are creative and innovative, and that's why they start companies and do things that give them phenomenal success. Where they are weak is exactly what you've already described. They're weak with details and routine and things that are just predictable. I mean, they're good at coming up with ideas, identifying new markets. They're creative, um, you know, about taking something from nothing and making it something really big there. They're usually good at selling to other people, pulling together a team that's motivated to get on board. What they would do well to do is then surrender the day-to-day details Because once they're forced to handle day-to-day management, they usually self-sabotage. They don't do that well. Those who try to continue doing that often end up self-destructing or destroying what they've built. I've done exactly that twice. I built companies, kept them too long. Not that there was anything wrong with the business, but it, it got to where I was bored. I get bored with sameness and predictability, even if that sameness is at a significant level of success. So recognize these things about yourself. Now, the last thing you want to do is to overwork like you've described so that you become incapable of even doing the minimum that's expected. I mean, don't just blow your knees out and your back out because you're trying to prove a point because you got a job and you're thrilled to have it. That's fine. But you want to continue to be excellent. If you have periods of time where you're out where you have not done things well, where you've missed details, and now you're hurt physically, so you're out and you're getting workman's comp. I mean, you've created all kinds of red flags over you being a valued valued employee there. I mean, you don't have to just give up all your uniqueness and individuality, but don't self-destruct in the way that you're describing that you're doing. So 
Yes, you can be a valued employee by doing things with excellence, but do that. Do them with excellence. You can bring bring creativity to the table. You can come in early and stay late. And those things that you describe here, that's fine. But don't self-destruct. And that's exactly what a lot of people with ADHD do, trying to make themselves conform to a traditional job. Patrick says, I want to approach some private investors to get my business up and running. What would you say are the benefits and burdens of having private investors? Well, if I started with the burdens, I'd never get to the part about the benefits because I think there are a whole lot more burdens than there are benefits. When you say to get your business up and running, the first thing I would ask is, why do you need investors? I would rather you start small, start with what you have, grow it where you can maintain control because one of the things that's a burden immediately with investors, you lose control. Investors don't put money in and just hope that things work out. Investors want to put money in. I mean, just this, uh, just last night, uh, Joanne had another party at the house, had a big function, had some people there and a lady showed me an idea where she got investor money and they wanted a 55% of her company. Now, she agreed to do that, and there's some reasons for that, but that's, that's typically where they're going to go immediately. Sure, I'll put money in. You know, I'll give you the little seed capital that you need. I want 51%. Guess who just got forced out of the decision-making role? Investors look for rapid return. They look for a quick ROI, return on investment. You are not going to be able to just grow your business at your own pace. You're not going to be able to do the kind of philanthropic things that you may want to do. You may want to take a week off and go on a missions trip. That's not what they're going to want. You may want to give a significant percentage of your profits to some nonprofit or charity organization that you want to support. No, not on their time. They want the profits to come back into the business. I mean, most businesses can be grown in a grassroots fashion. You want to bootstrap it. You want to make the business profitable enough that you can grow it so that you don't have to go get outside money. And it doesn't matter if it's investor money or if it's venture capital money or if it's bank money, the same kind of problems are going to be inherent no matter what, right from day one. If you've got big debt looking over your shoulder because you went and got an SBA loan or money from the bank, you know, it's going to change the way you do business. Now, again, I have no idea what business you're talking about. I mean, if you want to open a restaurant and it's $500,000 to do that and you've got $20,000, obviously to make that work, no, I'm not sure that's going to be a good idea in that scenario, but if you want to make that work, you got to go get money and bring it in. So you've got to be willing to decide in advance, what are you willing to give up in order to have investors come in? Now, the benefits, I mean, if you really had venture capitalists come in or you went to Shark Tank and they put money into your idea then you hope that you get a lot of knowledge, human capital, intellectual capital, where they bring knowledge to the table to help you run the business more effectively and efficiently right from the start. That can be a reasonable trade-off. But again, usually people are well aware, very cognizant of the burdens, more so than the benefits, six months down the road after having brought in outside investor money. Go carefully. Mike says, Mike from Washington, D.C., Dan, I love listening to your inspirational podcast. You are a genuine person, which is rare to find these days. Well, thank you, Mike. I work for the federal government. I'm not making much progress. I moved to D.C. a year ago from Arizona with my wife. We don't have any family here, but we've been active in our own church. 
and we've made friends. The job I'm in now is not what I was told it was going to be. I push a lot of papers around. It's monotonous. I don't enjoy what I'm doing. Is this because I'm without my family and closest friends or is the monotonous work I do every, is it because of the monotonous work I do every day? Importantly, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I enjoy competing in triathlons. This is my second year. What are some low-cost business ideas I could do and start a successful business in a triathlon community? Well, you've, you've integrated a, a whole series of, of questions there. And thanks for your question, Mike. But if you moved across country, you don't have friends and family there, and now you're in a job that isn't very fulfilling, it's not unexpected that you feel pretty empty at this point. Now, two things, and you already addressed these pretty well, we don't look for all of our fulfillment and sense of well-being to come from just our job. I mean, that's not realistic for anybody, no matter how important it is. And I talk a lot about the importance of work that matters and having a job or a business that really makes sense as part of who you are, displays your passion, is an opportunity to you to fulfill your purpose and calling from God. I mean, it's very important. But that being said, a job or business at any level is still just one tool for a successful life. You do need to be making deposits of success in these other areas. So if you are involved in your church, you're making friends and family, you're doing things to stay sharp physically, you're doing things for your own personal development. I mean, those are significant things to creating a life that matters, even if the job isn't what you expected it to be. If it's a recent job, you may not want to pull the plug until you create a pretty clear transition plan. Now's the time to ask yourself, do you want to stay in the D.C. area or do you want to go back to Arizona? Would you be in the D.C. area if we're not for this job that you took that brought you there? I mean, it's legitimate to ask that. Design the ideal life. What would be the ideal life three years from now? Now, you've also thrown in there the little caveat that you have an entrepreneurial spirit. You'd like to be making money from some of your passions rather than just the things you're doing in your job. Then look at that. Identify ways you could do that, but create a three-year plan. Here's what will happen. If you identify where you want to be three years from now and you see a clear path to get there, the angst that you're feeling in your current job will begin to diminish immediately because you won't be putting as much pressure on that. And you then see that job as just a reasonable vehicle to carry you through your three-year plan to get you to where you really want to be in a dream life. So look at it in that way. Get clear on where you want to be three years from now. Then you can decide, is it reasonable perhaps even to just continue the job you have now, even though it's not a dream job, but it doesn't sound like it's very taxing. It's not requiring a lot of brain power. And it may be a very reasonable vehicle to just continue that while you build something on the side. And yes, you certainly can make money from your biking and triathlon interest that you have. Lots of ways to do that. Well, Nathan from Fort Wayne says, I'm building a web development business in the evenings that I will likely quadruple my income in the next year. The problem is I still have a day job I like and I'm not ready to let go of it. So I need to start outsourcing some work. I've already made contact with the virtual assistant company who can help with the day-to-day operations, but I really want to find some talented designers who can produce drawings that I can turn into websites. How do I find these folks? How should the relationship be set up? And how do I make money with this system? I remember you saying an employee should bring three to four times their cost. I can't find contractors or people who can offer these margins. Love your show. You're changing my life. Well, thanks, Nathan. I appreciate that. We use virtual assistants for a wide variety of things. If it's 
layout for a new book or an ebook that I'm doing, or for it's, if it's just creating a, a really cool PDF as part of for a proposal that I can give to a publisher, or if it's doing a cover design, or if it's helping me get my articles on new sites and posting my blog on a variety of sites out there, or finding new opportunities for me to speak. Those are all things where we use virtual assistants for those. And those are times when we just simply go to well-known sources out there. And let me give you some websites for places that we've used. You can be as creative as you want these days with virtual assistant companies. And, and I like to go to companies where they have, have, have a wide array of talent that they have access to rather than just going to one person and then expecting that person to be able to do multiple things well. Now, we usually pay by the project for these, and you can certainly do that with what you're describing. The other option is to pay by the hour. I don't like to pay by the hour uh, because I don't want to control whether somebody spends three hours or 30. I just am interested in the completed projects. We usually establish in advance what is the completed project, what would success here look like, and what will we pay for the completed project. We've used organizations like odesk.com. It's just O-D-E-S-K. Elance, you've heard me talk about that. Guru.com. Virtualassistantisrael.com is a great organization. College-trained gals speak impeccable English. They charge about $15 an hour. They'll do anything you want. You can find people there that do design work as well as administrative work. Contemporaryva.com is a great place. Shelancers.com. Dot com is one where obviously you're going to get all females if that's important. The worker. I mean, those are all places where you can find competent workers to help you address what it is you want to have done. If you've got a question, you can submit a question. Just go to the 48days.com site, click on podcast. You know, I had, I have six different music clips that I've got keyed up here ready to go, introduce at various parts uh, during the questions today. I have a whole lot more questions in my hand, and I am dismayed to recognize we're at the 48-minute period already. I hope the time goes as fast for you as it does for me in doing these. I love going through these questions and unpacking them in ways that I hope help both you. I know they help me. It helps me refine what I'm doing in business, the things I'm doing to be more successful. We've got a great group at 48days.net. You can join us there to expand your ideas. Thanks for being part of this community where together we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week.